Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So, Lori, today, the state of the sexual union conversation. Lots of states of the union happen in marriage, but we're promoting a sexual state of the union conversation. Okay, can't wait. Hello again, and welcome to Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy. I'm your host, certified sex therapist Lori Watson, author of Wanting Sex Again, and blogger at Psychology Today and WebMD. And I have with me Dr. Adam Matthews, my co-host, who's a couples therapist, psychotherapist, and president of NCAMFT. Foreplay is dedicated to helping couples keep it hot. Thanks for listening. Now on to today's topic. So Adam, we're gonna talk about the state of the sexual union. Yes. We we highly recommend, and we talk about this on the retreat, that every couple reserve one day a week where they talk about the state of the union. Basically, not the bills, not the family, but how they're doing emotionally with each other. Yeah, marriage meeting. The marriage meeting. Just to get things out there, make sure you're communicating about things. We believe that's just super important for relationships because the more you talk about it, um, the more likely your expectations are going to be on the same page, the more likely you're going to you're going to be clear about lots of different things in your relationships, areas you need to improve, where your strengths are. It's really important, but people don't include sex often enough in those marriage meetings. Even people that do them, that have state of the marriage uh, or, or marriage meetings or state of the union conversations once a week, this they rarely talk about it. sex. Right. right, it's not part of it. I was on the radio a couple days ago, locally, and. You know, the guy, when I was saying the word clitoris, was just, hes he was probably, I don't know, 26 or something. And, I mean, he was just beat red. Yeah. And he was stumbling, like, uh, uh, what, what do you do? And, you know, I think the, the reality is it's normal to be embarrassed to talk about sex. Yeah. You know, even people who are partnered, they have sex, but they don't talk about it. So we're, we want to share with you about this couple, Abby and Phil. They were people who had sex. And they had sex pretty regularly, but right. they were not satisfied. And both were dissatisfied for different reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, Abby, she rarely orgasmed, and she felt like he moved too quickly. And in our experience, moving too quickly, she meant he, he groped he, her too yeah, quickly. He, he went for intercourse way too fast. Right. So he was having his own climax mm-hmm. and kind of thinking, this is hot and this is wonderful. And she was left a little cold. And he actually, that was his experience of her. He felt like she was cold during sex. Yeah, that was his complaint that she just wasn't into it, right? Uh Uh-huh. She wasn't into it. And now this is not necessarily his fault because he's racing ahead. It's a communication problem, which is why we want people to have the state of the union. You know, sometimes when sex becomes routine or boring or there's a disconnect it really means something is being left unsaid. Right. And, and just like the 26-year-old guy, even when you start to talk about use sexual language, 
right? That's just not something that we're used to a lot of times, especially when it's uh, intimate and real. We're, we may be used to it if it's crude or there's jokes mm-hmm. about it, but when we actually start to talk about what we need or what we want, what we're experiencing uh, with our partner, it becomes really difficult because it's a really vulnerable position to take. And we're just not, we're not used to it in that context, in, right? In your professional opinion, Adam, how many couples come in and do you think that they have a fairly rigorous conversation about what goes on in bed? Oh, maybe 10%. Yeah. If that. Yeah. Right. Because the they more often than not, when they're not talking about it, they're not going to be satisfied with it. Right. And so the vast majority of them, when I ask them, how often are you talking about your sex life or what, what how do those conversations go? They say, well, we're not having them. We've never talked about our sex life, right. all right? Or if we did, we talked about it in the very beginning. Um, because again, it's just one of those things that, we mentioned this before, that people feel like they should just fall into, that their mm-hmm. sex life should just be something that right off the bat, as soon as they get together, it's just going to be amazing, that it's not going to be, it's not something that's learned over time or that grows over time, but rather it's something that they should just naturally be good at, Mm -hmm. right? Or mutual orgasms should abound from day one. And I think what we're talking about in the state of the sexual union is not necessarily sexy talk. Right. We're not talking about how you talk in bed in the moment. We're talking about outside the bedroom processing how you're each feeling about your sexual life. Now, I know that the sexual pursuer is one who is probably going to want to have this conversation on maybe a weekly basis. And I think the sexual distancer, it's like uh, maybe never is just, you know, too often. Mm. Right. I mean, (laughs) so I would say, how often do you think they should have this conversation? I mean, I think once a month, I don't think it's a weekly conversation necessarily. Um, unless things come up. But I, I think that that looking at it at least monthly um, helps keep you on track with what you want. Do you think do you think more often? You're smiling at me. Do you, th- you I, think it no, should be more actually, often? No, actually, it's interesting. I, I, I am surprised at your number because I would have, I, I didn't expect that. I what, would would have, you, what would you have thought? You know, and I'm probably more lie on the sexual pursuer side of things. But I think that now this is a dynamic answer, like, hmm. you know, probably once a quarter. Just because I think sexual distancers can't bear that frequency of discussing how it's going. It's almost like, oh, you know, do I have to talk about it again? And every month I think, you know, those people would dread it. Yeah, I mean, I think it has to be somewhere in between what the sexual pursuer wants and what the sexual distancer wants. Mm-hmm. I would think that most sexual pursuers would talk about it every week if they could. Absolutely, right? And, and every so, day. And so, I think there's got to be some. How was it? Like, I think if they if they went to, I, I would wonder if sexual pursuers. I mean, but you're a sexual. You are a pursuer yeah. in your relationship. So if you're telling me once a quarter would be okay, but I would think that sexual pursuers would get frustrated if they had to wait to once every three months. I mean, I think in part, we've worked a lot of things out. So for me, it feels more relaxed to do it once a quarter. But I think for other people who are not having worked it out, you know, that might make them anxious. But, you know, if you are the pursuer, what I counsel you is grace. Try to understand the anxiety that your partner is up against in this conversation and you're probably going to win the war if you lose a few battles. Yeah, and I think for distancers too, it's more 
that they have to fight back against that feeling that if they talk about it at all, they're going to always be talking about it, right? That it's going to be a bottomless pit of conversation. And that's why I think if you can muster up, the, if distancers can muster up the courage to talk about it just more frequently than they're comfortable with, mm-hmm. those conversations are going to be fewer and far between. And I, and I think that's what you're talking about with where you've gotten to, that you're it's more relaxed for you at this point, in part because I think that when a sexual distancer comes forward and starts to have more of those conversations, especially when they begin to initiate those conversations, a sexual pursuer can then begin to relax a little bit. And it's not as, it's not as urgent. Would you, is that? I think that's true. I think also the sexual distancer says, you're asking me, Lori, to sign up for a time that I'm going to be told how lousy I'm in bed or how I'm (laughs) not fulfilling my partner's dream world sexually. You know, so I think that's, that's part of the problem. And for them, there's trepidation going into the conversation because they feel like they're the ones who are failing or they're the ones who are going to be criticized. But, but I think that's part of I mean, and that's we address that in, in our tips, which maybe we can get to okay, in, the, in the second half. But I mean, I think like preparing for that conversation is important. I mean, I think this is what we're talking about is really important because you have to have the right mindset for that mm-hmm. to have that conversation. You have to be it requires, a, like we're talking about, a lot of courage on both parts for the sexual pursuer to back off and not have it as frequently as they may want to, but for the sexual distancer to step forward and be able to engage in those it's conversations. It's the same old, same old, isn't it? It is. I you mean, know, it, it is. Back off, step forward, give space, initiate. I mean, this is in this conversation, the very dynamics of pursuing and distancing is mm. again represented. Right. And that idea is it may be different for every couple depending the frequency of these conversations may be different depending on where you are and then what actually helps break that cycle. I think for couples maybe in high conflict that are um, not used to these conversations, they may happen a little more frequently at first, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to, you, they require practice as well. If you've never had done it before, you're not going to have a great state of the sexual union conversation right off the bat. Right. And there's going to be bumps and difficulties. You may leave that conversation feeling um, not great at first because you're not used to having it. So the likelihood uh, and that's what I feel like sometimes it's hard to get my couples to understand because they want we're not talking about a silver bullet here just because you start to have these conversations doesn't mean that everything is going to be fixed. You're going to leave some of these conversations with your feelings hurt. Like it's, it's going to happen or it's not going to feel good at first, but it, because these conversations require some practice, they require some figuring out about what's the best way to have these conversations, how you approach them with tact, how you don't step on each other's toes, how you don't feel criticized in those moments. Those, Mm -hmm. those things are, are going to, unfold and get better as the more that you have them, which may require at first having them more frequently than maybe as your relationship grows and gets better. Yeah, that sounds great. So any tips, Adam, just to tell people when would be the right time to talk about these problems? Well, I think when we look at them, we've talked about this a lot. um, And just the one to start us off is to not have conversations about sexual problems in your bedroom, Mm -hmm. right? Or when you're going to bed, Mm -hmm. right? And we we say this a lot, but we can't, I don't know that we can really overstate it, is that the bedroom should be reserved for sex and sleeping, like, Mm -hmm. or relaxing. Like those should, the the bedroom really should be a sacred place. Um, We we don't want to anchor it to conflict. We don't want people to have associations in their body or in their minds of, 
okay, now we're behind closed doors and my partner's going to pounce on me with criticism. We want to separate out the difficult conversations from the sacred space of the bedroom. Yeah. And even at bedtime, there's so many people talking about like one partner is falling asleep and the other partner is, is starting, is trying to engage them in a deep and meaningful conversation at midnight, right? My husband, I mean, his head hits the pillow, boom, he's out. I'm yes. Like, he'll say something like, why don't we go up to bed and watch the TV or talk or, you know, something. And I'm like, you mean go to sleep? Yeah, because as soon as he is in that bedroom, he's out. Yes, yes. My 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 wife sometimes says, "I'm going to get ready for bed," and what she means is she is going to bed. <laughs> like, but that's that's what that means. And um, I, if we, if, for me, if we try to have those conversations at midnight, as I'm as you know, in my comfy clothes, under the covers, ready to hit the hay, like that, they're never going to go well, mm-hmm. right? They're always going to be either she's going to feel like I'm not attentive enough, or I'm not not engaged enough or I'm going to feel like she's um, too critical or trying to like ambush me like those. It's just never a good time to have those have those conversations. Right. And also don't talk about it right after having sex. Oh, yeah. How terrible is that? You know, suddenly then you feel very vulnerable and exposed. So you don't want to do that. Yeah, I was I had a had someone tell me that they that that was the time where the partner tries like they're both naked still naked from having sex and that's the time where they decided to bring up all their sexual issues right and it's so it's it's so like you said it's exposing but it's such a it's such a a vulnerable position to be in to be naked and to be trying to have these conversations (laughs) which is just super difficult very difficult although i had a girlfriend who was with a guy and you know he was asking all sorts of questions about what she liked yada yada and she's like you know that would be a conversation with a glass of wine in a bathtub and bubbles, and yeah. th- that might be better. You yeah, know, something which that was a sexy thing to do. Yeah, well, that but it's it's not a it's not right after. Yeah, you you've done the you've done you've done the thing that you now want to complain about. Right, but I think the other thing too is just not to blindside your partner. Right. Like you don't this is not a conversation you want to spring on somebody. It's not a surprise. It's not something you're you're going out on a uh, on a date night and over dinner you pour the wine. And the next thing you know is these are all the things that are wrong with our sex Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. Right. It needs to be something that you both know that you want to have the conversation setting it up to say, hey, I want to have this conversation. When's a good time to have it? I want to talk about it. I know that it's sensitive. So I want to have it in a, in a good way. When's a good time to have it? Um, so it just sets up the conversation to go so much better. Yeah, it prepares your partner. Well, let's come back and talk about how to do that, how to talk about it, and have a state of the sexual union conversation right after this. So we want to remind all of you that we are thankful for the way you've shared the podcast. We continue to grow. It is our greatest honor when you share with a friend the work that we're doing and trying to help people Uh, reframe their sexual life in a way that is understandable and not so mysterious so that they can make positive changes and strengthen their marriages and their partnerships. And I think the last thing we'd like to say is both of us are doing intensives. Um, Our summer schedules are getting filled up. So if you would like to work with us, let us know and call our centers. You can find us at foreplayradiosextherapy.com. And if you like what we're doing and want to help support us, we'd love for you to rate and review us on iTunes be super helpful for us. So thanks for listening. 
We're back talking about the state of the sexual union conversations. And also want to tell you, we go into more depth about this at our retreats that we have, our Love and Sex 360 retreats coming up. Our next one is in November. The 14th through the 16th. Yeah, in beautiful in Asheville. Asheville. It'll yeah. be gorgeous. Oh, just, I'm so looking forward to fall in Asheville. And are you going to take me to the chocolate factory? Um, only if you make me. <laughs> um, and I'll, are you being I'll, good and eating paleo? <laughs> I'm, I uh, would rather go to the beer places but you know okay it's the, the 15th to the 17th too but you can find us on love and sex 360.com also foreplayradiosextherapy.com we have couples retreat right at the top of the yeah and two different options menu. for two different options for people this year where you can come just for the workshops or you can come and also get private therapy with one of us or one of our two amazing colleagues, uh, Shelly or Carol um, at the retreat. So look for that where we go into more of the specifics and expand on how to have better conversations about sex and about other things that are going on in your life. Um, but when we talk about the state of the sexual union conversation, I want to really kind of get into some specifics about how we do that because we talk about talking a lot, don't we? Like mm -hmm. we, we we're emphasize, always we're always saying talk more about what's going on. So we want to always make sure we're giving you specifics about how to have those conversations because it really is in the details of how you go about having those conversations that can make them successful. Um, sometimes people get into patterns of how they have conversations with each other. And so they try, they, I, I hear a lot, we tried to talk about it, but we always left frustrated or nothing was resolved or we didn't get anywhere or we have the same conversations over and over again. And so one of the things to really think about is how you are going about having those conversations. And we want to give you some tips about how to have those and make those better. So Lori, what would be your number one tip? So first, obviously be tactful. Oh I yeah. Mean, you are with this person for the rest of your life and little wounds that you think are just, you know, something they need to know go in forever potentially. So you want to say it the best, most thoughtful way possible. All of us, you know, have these conversations and think of negative things to say, well, you're selfish or you're not doing it that way or I told you or, you know, blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. Start so, with a positive. Reframe the way you're going to say it as positively, as tactfully as possible. So how would how would you think Abby would go about saying talking about something so sensitive as that she rarely has orgasms or that she feels like he he goes too fast? How would she say that tactfully? Yeah. And first of all, Abby may be faking it, right? Abby yeah. may have been, you know, faking it all along. And so, you know, she's anxious about telling him that she actually needs more stimulation or something to have an orgasm. So I would say to Abby, first of all, sexual distancers have their own, you know, issues. They have their own complaints. They have their own desires but they often whisper it more than shout it. Mm. Um, so I encourage you, sexual distancer, to be brave and put it out there. So Abby might say, you know, I think that um, one of the things that I'd like is to experience orgasm more frequently. And if he says, well, it seems like you do all the time, say, well, I think that I've read some things or listened to a podcast, this cool podcast called Foreplay Radio Sex Therapy. And they suggested that I could have bigger orgasms or better ones if I had more clitoral stimulation. Would you be willing to do that? So it's a really soft way of saying, you know, this is what I need. 
not necessarily this true confession, you know, mm. I've lied to you. Because a lot of partners feel like, what? You haven't told me. And this is a real bind. Um, mm. Oftentimes the, the woman partner doesn't tell the male partner because she's afraid of hurting his ego. Yeah. And then when she does, he's angry, you know, like you didn't even tell me this is, you know, this has been a whole lie. And so it's kind of a double bind. She lives in this place. And so we can never get better. So I say, let's just start with, I can have something better. Yeah. You know, and go from there. Yeah. I think in too in that that she can own her part and he can too. When we oftentimes when we have complaints or we have things we want to be better in situations, recognizing that there is that it's a relationship and that there if there is a part that I can own on that, that it can be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Particularly here it may be saying something like, you know, I know that I may not always be direct in telling you what I need mm -hmm. and what's going on. Oh, but I, I love want that. I want to try to be better about that. And I want to start by talking about something that I know is sensitive but I want I want you to know that I don't think it's fair for you not to know, mm -hmm. right? I think that just it helps kind of just to be able to own that. He could be if you know for him talking about her what her perceived coldness. It it might be something like I know this is not what you mean, but this is what it feels like to me, and I know I don't talk about this enough or I I talk about it too harshly, but this is something that's difficult for me. It feels like you're you're this way, but I know that's not what you really intend to communicate yeah. with me. To, to give credit to the yes. other person's intention and maybe to ask it in a curious way. Mm. Sometimes, right, don't say all the time or every time, but sometimes when I'm with you, my experience, those are magic words. Yeah, my when, experience. When yeah. you're talking to people, use the words, in my experience, there seems to be a part of you that isn't engaging or that seems checked out. What is your experience of the moment? Mm -hmm. So first you carefully, gently say what your experience is, and then you immediately let them talk about how it is for them, knowing that these may be two different truths. Yes. Yeah. It's just two, well, in two different truths and two different perspectives. Yeah. Right. We, different point of view. You know, and we're all going to have that anyway, just by being different people. Uh, but we're, especially when you're talking about a heterosexual couple or they're different genders, like they're, they're, you're, you're experiencing in homosexual couples too. I mean, everybody is different from the other person. Our experiences are not the same. And so being able to acknowledge that really helps in, in the beginning of that conversation. And I think the other thing, another tip that I would say is like recognize and state what your goal is for the conversation and that it is to be more connected. It is to be closer. It is to have a better experience in your sex life. And I think knowing that and having a mutually shared goal and recognizing that both of you want that. I oftentimes like think that uh, couples come in and one of them will say something to the effect of, well, I know this is not what she wants, mm -hmm. right? She's she's the other person is diametrically opposed to what I want when that when you get to the bottom of it, though, that's not always true. At the core, we all want better sex in our relationships. We all want to be closer. We all want to be more connected in our relationships. And being able to state that is is vitally important, I think. Um, mm -hmm. to, to a shared under, to a, a good conversation to know that we are both working towards shared goals. We're not in competition with each other. Um, we're both working to have 
a better relationship. And that kind of just softens the start to that conversation. It does. It doesn't. It starts it off on where we're on the same page. We're a team. We're working to do that. And it, I think it also can just help avoid blaming in those conversations. Mm-hmm. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. This is what happens in relationship. This is difficult, but we know we both want to work toward this this shared goal of better connection and better sex. Right. And so you've you've said something really important uh, in the past. You know, you don't want to spring something on your partner particularly. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, uh, you don't want to necessarily purchase a sex advice book and lay it on their nightstand. Yeah. Right. I mean, right. you can read that book. Yes. But also, if you're in partnership and you're reading a book on sex advice, this is going to raise the alarms in your partner. Oh, yeah. So certainly in a conversation, you might say, you know, hey, I want to read this book called Wanting Sex Again. Yes, great <laughs> book. Awesome, awesome book. And I'm going to order it on Amazon. And I've just heard that it has a way through developmentally um, the different stages that couples go through. And I wanted to get some ideas for where we're at compared to where other couples are at so that it it doesn't suddenly look like a snake on the nightstand. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. oh, my gosh, my partner's been having, you know, anxiety or fears or complaints i didn't know about it and then suddenly it's there yeah i mean it because it it's um especially if you've never talked about it before if you've never talked about the problems that you're having in a relationship our minds go to these disastrous and catastrophic places when we see items like that right right? and so just not that's part of why that conversation needs to happen of just saying hey this is something I want to explore together. What do you think about reading this mm-hmm. book together? Mm-hmm. Right. Or I'm going to read this book. I just want to heads up. This is where, but if you'd like to read it with me, I'd love for you to. Mm-hmm. Like anything like that is just more inviting and it's more connecting to know that this is something we want to do together, which I think is important. Um, and then you've written about in the past some some basic conversations to have that I don't want to avoid either because oftentimes we make things more complicated than they have to be. And so the you talk about the basics that you need to have, of conversations that you need to have that oftentimes can solve some problems in relationships very quickly, right? Sure. I mean, that's the who, what, when, where conversation. Right. So what time of day do you feel most sexual? I, when I was first married, my husband and I were a little out of sync. And I did not like morning sex at that point. Now I'm much older and really like morning sex (laughs) because I have the most energy. I really liked evening sex. And my husband was a morning guy, of course. And, you know, I realized that I peaked sexually at 10 a.m. in the morning. You know, I'd had coffee. I'd Oh, no, actually, I wasn't drinking coffee. Then I'd had Diet Coke. I had, you know, breakfast. I was at work. I was dressed. I was showered. You know, I felt sort of more awake Mm. Uh, and I would call him and I might be like, hey, hey, you know, but it was 10 a.m., right? We, we couldn't be together. Hmm. But knowing that meant that I could, at least on the weekends, know that, okay, I need to get up. I need to shower. I need to be awake, you know, and then we can, you know, kind of go back to bed. And so that's important. And who does the seduction? You know, hmm. is it reserved for one gender? Is it the man who's supposed to do that? Because that's what our culture tells us. You know, hopefully not. You know, and also, how do you like sexual initiation? By touch of words. This was another way that my husband and I were off. You know, I was touch, he was words, and it was just like we were missing each other. 
You know, mm-hmm. I would touch him and he'd be like, whoa, way too soon. Let's go have some wine. And he would say, do you want to? And I'd be like, ah, that feels cold. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think it took us four years to figure that out. So also, yeah. you know, how often do you like sexual contact in the week? And what does that mean? Does it mean sexual intercourse every single time? Or does it mean passionate kissing? Does it mean, you know, just fooling around in orgasms or oral sex? What does that mean? Yeah. And that's that's the conversation or, or the example that we were given of Abby and Phil that they could, one of the conversations that may just solve a bunch of things for them is the touch conversation, mm-hmm. right? And how, how does that go that makes it good for both of them, right? It's, a, it's it on paper, it's a, I know it's not as easy, but on paper, it's a simpler conversation. But that's, that's a basic conversation that if they would have, they could avoid a lot of these problems that they have. Um, last tip for you, just in these, converse, these types of conversations, it applies to everyone, but especially here, Realize that you may have to have more than one conversation. It's not just don't try to solve everything in one conversation because it's just going to feel overwhelming. Rather, solve one thing at a time. Pick one topic, one area of concern in your sex life that you want to talk about to try to come to a solution there for that. And if it's a quarterly thing, I mean, know that there are going to be threads that are not sewed up. This is not going to be all done. You're going to talk about it in a quarter, and and people think, well, I got to keep talking, and that exhausts you. Oh yeah, it wears you out. Minor points at a time. If you get through four minor points in a year, you're doing good. You are. It's the small steps that are going to in four years. You've gotten through 16 points. That's a lot, and a lot of people fight about it instead and don't get anywhere. Yeah, and I think taking turns here. So for like our couple, you're not talking about her feeling like he moves too quickly, and her and his feeling of her being cold during sex. Like you're not you're talking about both of those things. You're not going to make any progress because you're just going to go back and forth mm-hmm. on both of those issues. So taking turns here and saying, let's talk about this one thing and see if we can make some progress there is going to be much more helpful than trying to address all of the concerns all at one time. Right. And less toxic words again, as to repeat, rather than you feel cold and bad, yes. you know, I'm I'm feeling a disconnect from you in bed. Sometimes you seem absent from what's happening. Can you help me understand what's going on for you? Okay, so thanks, y'all, for listening so much. Uh, Loveandsex360.com for the retreat. And you know what? It's more powerful to us a millionfold if you subscribe to us and also if you tell a friend about what you're learning. Thanks so much. You can now call in your questions to the 4Play question voicemail. Dial 833-MY-4PLAY. That's 833-THE-NUMBER-4-PLAY. And we'll use the questions for our mailbag episodes. Hey, help us stay on top here at 4Play. We'd love it if you would subscribe and share it with your friends. And please take one sec and rate and review us. Thanks so much. All content is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered as a substitute for therapy by a licensed clinician or as medical advice from a doctor. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.